Welcome to Cybercast. I'm your host, Kate Macri. This special episode looks back at some of the highlights from our Cyberscape virtual event earlier this month, when federal IT leaders delved into the human element of cybersecurity. How agencies approach the people aspect to security could determine how successful a security strategy really is. The human element is an important factor to get right. As federal agencies modernize their IT infrastructure amidst the coronavirus pandemic, they're dealing with human error and a lack of education when it comes to cybersecurity best practices. We heard from leaders, including Chief Information Security Officer in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition, Katie Arrington, CISOs at NIH, HHS, and USDA, plus leaders at CISA, DHA, NIST, and more. Chief Information Security Officer Lamont Yarborough of HHS OIG, for one, emphasized practical training exercises as an important way to ingrain best practices. But it's really, in my view, the human element that contributes to how secure that we are. I think that, you know, phishing exercises are key. The better that we are able to educate our constituency, I think the better we'll all be for it. Tom Hines, Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation and Senior Advisor to the CIO at DHA, said employees working remotely won't get access to the DHA network if they don't complete their cybersecurity training. Our response to that really started with education, uh, reminding the workforce of the training they'd already received uh, in this area and what standard best practices were. Uh, Again, because we're part of DOD, uh, training around security principles is, is uh, critical and it's done so repetitively uh, throughout the course of the year. It's required for people to access the network and if they don't complete their required cybersecurity training, uh, which, which by the way, qualifies most of our people for operating at the secret level, uh, then they don't get to participate in activities on the network, that their network access is removed. Yarborough also explained how HHS OIG handles a human-caused cybersecurity incident. Once someone has uh, been identified as, you know, clicking a link and going to a, a, a site and inputting information, um, as opposed to just alerting them of their mistake and hoping that they be better next time, we impose some additional remedial training requirements on them to hope, hopefully make them, you know, better aware of what to look for. And, and then... Um, should they repeat that scenario, um, we're beginning to discuss not necessarily punitive measures, but, you know, inattention can be can be disastrous for any organization. So we're, we're doing our best to 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 uh, train our folks to be more aware. So that human element is, is, is going to be, in my view, the most critical thing. Federal officials are also quickly adapting their cybersecurity strategies in tandem with their IT strategies during the pandemic. Heinz said the pandemic has actually forced the DHA to innovate its IT and cybersecurity strategies. We had to very rapidly adjust uh, to operating from remote locations for all except our mission-critical workforce. From an overall agency perspective, I'm, I'm very happy we went through it at this point because it's taught us how to innovate um, really at a rapid pace and prepare ourselves for such emergencies. Again, you know, in past days, uh, an emergency like this would be snow days, for example, on a localized basis where the workforce has to stay home. Never on an enterprise basis at scale would we have to uh, 
do something like that and add to that the fact that because of the Department of Defense security posture and because of the bandwidth constraints on the overarching network, not just ours, but the entire Department of Defense, we had to, in fact, take down and restrict uh, most streaming services, which in this context include uh, office collaboration services, most forms of teleconferencing, which are the type of capabilities you want to support telehealth. All of those were things we had to work through uh, to uh, continue to perform our mission, and we're still working on those things to make them better. I think our lessons learned here is, is our capacity to be flexible and agile. Sometimes, adapting means limiting who has access to what data, especially when people are working from home. This is something that HHS OIG is still working on. I know a lot of folks who are working from home at some point, you know, not necessarily become apathetic, but it's, it's easy to travel with your device and sit in the living room and have coffee or sit in the dining room and all of a sudden you need to walk the dog or you need to check the door and, and you leave your device out. We've eliminated the ability for people to print locally. Um, and for those who we allow, they, they would have to make a strong, you know, mission justification because we don't want to be in a scenario where they're printing, you know, sensitive, you know, sensitive data, law enforcement data and, you know, SPII and the like. Cloud service providers can also complicate cybersecurity by muddling the understanding of accountability when it comes to government data, which Yarborough hopes to address at HHS OIG. But for me, uh, I won't say that there has been a lack of clarity, but it, 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 there's, there's been some degree of concern um, with transferring that risk profile to a cloud service provider. And I think um, a, lot of, a lot of agencies have has done that with, you know, transferring that risk is fine. You know, that's done all the time. But somehow they've lost the idea um, of, of being accountable for that, that information, irrespective of who you transferred that risk to, because while they are responsible for it, you are still accountable for it, right? So, you know, spelling out the, the right language and contractual relationships with respect to SLAs and, and reactions to anomalous behavior and spills and all those things, um, it's been a, a little nebulous in some of my experiences because sometimes it's just, let's just quickly get to the cloud so we can remove some of these, you know, on-prem expenses and so on and so forth. So, so I can appreciate that paradigm shift, but I, I just never want to lose sight on, you know, how we're accounting for who's handling our data, who's accessing our data, what the mechanisms are with respect to the CSP on how they adjudicate um, those who service our data and systems, those who are acting on them, the processes that they may be using when, and, you know, they have an employee who's, you know, who's, who's not happy anymore and their inclination to do, do harm, which could in, result in, you know, somehow um, doing something nefarious to, to our systems. So, so those are the kind of things that I, I, would, I would work on and am working on with respect to my responsibilities here within OIG to ensuring that, you know, once again, the right language is articulated in SLAs to the extent that we can monitor those situations because I understand CASB solutions and all those other things, but, but to the extent that we, that we can or cannot monitor those scenarios, um, we better have an ability to adequately audit what's occurring and so that we can respond appropriately. Another human element of cyber is recruiting and diversity. Jothi Dugar, Chief Information Security Officer at the Center for Information Technology at the National Institutes of Health, encouraged federal agencies to diversify their cyber workforce. 
for women and girls, it's important to see yourself in, in a role. Um, so if you see a role or an organization or leadership uh, teams that are just predominantly one gender or the other, um, you know, there are professions where it is predominantly female. Uh, so males might have the same issue. So, but of course, as we know, in cybersecurity, it's the opposite where it is predominantly male um, or even in technology leadership. So it was great for me to see that there there is uh, a lot of diversity within NIH and within the leadership team there. So I really saw myself as as um, belonging there and being part of the leadership team. And I see uh, all the women that are co that come up to me and also men coming up to me as well uh, and really appreciating the fact that they saw themselves in the leadership team, which really makes a, a huge difference. So they know that there, there's a chance for them or there's hope for them or um, there's, a, there's a path uh, for them as well. We also really encourage and, and also implement uh, individual development plans and it's not just a paper exercise. Um, so we really um, work with uh, the managers and leadership as well as the employees to really uh, figure out what do they wanna do in life, um, not just at the NIH. Um, and that really helps them understand that, okay, this is where I am right now, but where do I want to be in a year? Where do I want to, where do I want to be in three years? And how is my organization, um, my management and my direct supervisors, what can they do to help me get there uh, from their point of view? Um, and how can I also contribute back to the organization? So it really helps to have all, all these different parts of the, the puzzles put together. Dugar and Venus Goodwine, Chief Information Security Officer of the USDA, encouraged women to pursue federal cyber careers. So in my experience, one thing that I think makes the difference um, with us as women that we should definitely, um, I would say, own your career. And I know we're going to talk about that today. And what I mean by that is don't rely on your company or organization to provide your training. Don't be afraid to invest in yourself. Be deliberate about your man, your um, the career choices that you make and manage your career. And most importantly, seek mentorship and coaching. Goodwine also shared practical strategies for federal agencies to use to increase diversity in their cyber workforce. What I've learned is once you decide um, the work that is required and you define that, the next logical step is to determine the skills required to do the work. And not just the technical skills, but the soft skills you know, as well. And when you support an agency as large as USDA with our diverse mission, you require a diverse workforce. And, and again, not, not thinking about diversity as we normally would think about it, but I'm referring to diversity of thought, which really comes from um, individuals with diverse experience. And so you have a cap, you have, have to capitalize on that um, when you think outside the box and not go towards the not to, you know, your traditional way of recruiting and requiring, you know, and acquiring talent. You have to um, use some of the authorities that OPM has provided to us, you know, um, direct hiring authorities. You know, I heard my panelists talk about going to some of the um, HBCUs and going th really through the non-traditional route to obtain that type of talent. Rather, it's, you know, using Schedule A or rather, rather using our Pathways program. And when I talk about, you know, not just the technical skills, the soft skills that you will get like problem solving and critical thinking and negotiation skills and, and most importantly, the ability to build and maintain relationships. That is key if you're going to work, you know, especially in the IT world. And I know specifically 
from for cybersecurity. And there's no certification to validate that, right? You can't go get a cert in soft skills, right? You can do instruments that tell you what your skills, you know, what you tend to. Those are innate things that an individual must recognize that they have and recognize that that's a factor um, in seeking cybersecurity careers. And so I just feel, you know, as a member of the Senior Executive Service through these type of panels and speaking engagements and mentoring, really trying to speak to women about honing in on those skills and not just focusing on how much math you may have had, you know, in your past and rather you can code or not. So USDA holds an annual um, women in IT symposium, and that is clearly designed where we address the fears of women entering into IT. We address um, these type of soft skills that I'm talking about. We do what we call the, the fast mentoring sessions where you move from table to table, and it's kind of an intimate setting where you can ask those questions. So all of that, I think, is things are, are in the right, a step in the right direction for really addressing how do we close the gap um, and get getting more women in these IT leadership roles because we manage a lot of things. And I just heard someone say they have a business and, you know, they multitask and, you know, we're mothers and, and wives and, and friends and sisters. And so all of those skills is my point are very key in IT. And, and I think we need to hone in on those. DOD's Katie Arrington said women are uniquely positioned to shake up cybersecurity for the better. I think most women in, uh, in our career fields have a superpower. And the superpower is, and, and we should all embrace our superpower, is how we see the, the 360. Because as, as women, we tend to see things a little bit differently. Arrington said the coronavirus pandemic shows what needs to change in the cybersecurity world. And women shouldn't be afraid to work hard to bring about good change and great things in cyber. To get to cybersecurity, to get to good women leadership in, in cyber, to get the minority uh, leadership in cyber, it's going to take some extra hard work. And we don't have, you know, COVID made it. It's a thing that's now. If we don't look at it now, how will we be positioned in a year? And I'm, I'm just in awe of how we've adjusted and how we've put the investment in. I'm interesting to see where we'll be in a year from now um, and how the capability of not being locked into a building, but we're able to express ourselves and really blossom in this environment, who will be the leaders in the coming future um, and, and how we are able to use our, our capability, you know, to empower our superpower to do great things. Arrington also encouraged women to explore careers in cyber, even if they don't have a background in tech or cyber. The key to succeeding in your career? Drive. I personally uh, fell in love with cyber. Um, and I did not know, and I think it's really important for everybody to hear, when I first started, in, and now it's almost 20 years ago, and I'm, okay, uh, the grandchildren. Uh, but when I first started, um, mind you, my background was sales and marketing, that I never would have put myself into a cyber role. Um, I went and, and, you know, be humble. I will say that, be humble, and never be afraid to ask the questions. Um, I worked at a large um, defense contractor, I went into the very first meeting and they were using acronyms that I had no idea what they were talking about. And I asked questions. I, I was curious and I wanted to learn. And I remember definitively driving home, stopping in a Barnes and Noble and buying IT networking for dummies um, and, and really immersing myself into educating myself 
about it and fell in love with it. And then as my career, you know, the, the momentum of my career, I became a leader in cyber because I realized very early on, and I hope, you know, the, the, the women and, and the individuals um, that are, are men and women watching this, that you understand that it isn't just one particular area right? Cyber is really hard to define. It's a lot of things that come together and that never think that you're incapable of getting there. Um, I have more college credits than a doctor, but I don't hold a degree. That didn't hold me back. Um, when I came into the Department of Defense, I, I was a legislator. I ran for Congress. I never let anything stop me to tell me that I wasn't capable of doing it. You are. All of us possess these skills. We all need to, to set the path. And in coming into the department, it is absolutely a, a definite uh, change of pace, right? How often have we you know, put in the Department of Defense a, a person who didn't come from the department, um, but literally is running one of the biggest changes that we've ever had in the department for cybersecurity as a woman with the, you know, the, I don't have the degree to represent it. Um, I really don't have the career bandwidth that you would think of in, you know, understanding the department, but just a pure drive to make it happen. And uh, it's, it's definitely been interesting, uh, tremendous fun. And the last thing, I, I, and I know I'm kind of going off the, a little bit, but drive yourself drive yourself to push yourself to new challenges. Because if you don't look at the NIST, right, and you don't look at what NICE offers, and you don't sit down and say, wow, I really want to do that, right? Invest in yourself. And when you believe in you, and you want something so desperately bad, um, the world will, will come with you. Um, if you believe it, they will buy into it. And I believe cybersecurity is the thing that's um, it's that thin line that keeps us, America, safe from the rest of the world. Anything we do now, cyber is so incredibly uh, important. Lean in. Don't ever doubt yourself. Lean in. And it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to skin your knees. Just make sure you know how to stand back up, brush your knees off, and get back in the game. Um, because without us, where will we be? In the final Cyberscape panel, federal cybersecurity experts touched on how complex cybersecurity is in 2020 and what we can do to reduce that complexity and maintain cybersecurity best practices. John Fangi, Chief Technology Officer of Microfocus Government Solutions, said CISA's TIC 3.0 guidance ties all the different moving parts of federal cybersecurity into one set of guiding principles. TIC 3.0 is really less about the specific interconnectivity of the network segments, and it's more about the data integrity, data security, and also the resiliency of the entire system, including the network. And fortunately, there are many solutions out there that address these, um, these complexities. I think that the real challenge for most agencies will be whether they cobble together an, an array of individual software component solutions or whether they look to uh, true uh, infrastructures globally who have expertise uh, in these uh, data protection oriented solutions. 
Ronald Ross, a fellow at NIST, said investing in the cloud and CISA's TIC and CDM initiatives helped federal employees transition smoothly to telework this year. These cyber initiatives, he said, enabled workers to help maintain data integrity while working from home. This has been the greatest transition of uh, federal workforce in our history, going from inside the fence to outside the fence. And I think there have been a lot of preparatory activities that we've been doing for the last several years. Uh, I know cloud was mentioned previously. That was a huge investment on the federal government's part. We also invested a lot in mobile technologies and uh, the, the, the TIC initiative, the CDM program at DHS, all of those things allowed our federal workforce to start getting comfortable with telework well before the pandemic. Ross said federal organizations and their employees need to be disciplined in order to maintain cybersecurity best practices, hearkening back to comments made by Yarborough and Hines about training and educating employees on cybersecurity. With the explosion of the technology today, our biggest threat is complexity, as you were talking about about visibility, we have to do a better job of understanding what's in, the, I call it the black box. That could be a laptop, it could be a smartphone, it could be a tablet, it could be a larger computer, but understanding that at the fundamental core of all of the IoT or mobile devices, there's still computers in there. Computers are driven largely by software and firmware. CISA TIC program manager Sean Connolly said the TIC program office hopes to develop some use cases for federal agencies so they can educate employees on best cybersecurity practices, which are so pertinent in this teleworking age. Internet of Things has always been one uh, that's very interesting to us. We heard from agencies, they may have tsunami uh, uh, sensors or uh, warning on the tsunami sensors from some other agencies, just the, the centers of monitor for forest fires or farms, or Timothy mentioned, uh, the internet, medical things. And this is one area we do look at having a use case around because there are a number of best practices, I think as Ron was mentioning, still giving the authority to the agency to determine how to secure their data and the level of risk they're willing to accept. But internet things is definitely uh, one area we're looking to support from the TIC program office. When people hear the word cybersecurity, they usually think about firewalls and software updates or even new technologies and methods like automated incident response systems and zero trust. But for federal leaders in cybersecurity, the most secure federal agencies are the ones that invest in their people through education, hiring, and training and pivot their cyber strategies for new environments like teleworking during a pandemic. The conversations at Cyberscape are just a snapshot of the broader cybersecurity conversation, which has exploded with new questions and challenges as federal agencies work from home. To hear more about what's happening in the constantly evolving world of federal cybersecurity, subscribe to Cybercast and stay up to date on the latest cyber trends and insight. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.